What the If is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Taylor Swift edition. I know I know virtually nothing about Taylor Swift. So very much same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she will feature prominently in today's episode, nonetheless. Uh somewhat pro she, yes. Anyway, Taylor Swift is the catalyst for our if this week, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh first of all, I'm Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, science fan, and uh, and fan of science mm, explaining. What do you call it? Science communication. There we um, go. That's I think the more SciCom polished term. Yeah. Hashtag shy, hashtag hashtag SciCom. Um, and uh, with me, as you can hear, Gabby Panicia. From uh, a vir- from virologist, a virologist at Rockefeller <laughs> University in New York City. How are you, Gabby? I am good. It's uh, unfortunately a little bit of a gross day, which yeah is kind of weird. It feels like it's so much earlier than it actually is, and <laughs> I feel like this week we've gotten the first hints of it being cooler out. And so yeah. I love fall, but there's a part of me that's like, no, I didn't get to use my summer. Yep. So yep. there's it's like. I'm hanging on by my fingernails to whatever summer I can get left, but clearly today is like very fall weather. So I think I think it might be kind of over. So if you could do one summer thing uh, it, it, before it's over, what would it be? Go to the beach. Ah, I was supposed to go nice. with a bunch of friends and I got sick. Oh, so no. I was like, oh, dang it. And it, like yeah. the week that I was sick for was like perfect weather. And then I get better and it starts to be gray. So it's like, oh. Okay. Oh. I have friends who go to the, uh, what do they call it? Like the polar bear club or whatever. They go to the beach in the middle of the winter. Oh, the, the polar bear plunge yeah. thing? Yeah. So you, you could wait till then, <laughs> but it wouldn't I, be the same. I don't do well in temperatures like that. I, I think I might slightly pass. Or, or I'll do the polar bear plunge that I saw people do when I was in Key West in February. Yeah. Uh, because doing the polar bear plunge there is 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 fine. It's not it's not cold. Uh, yeah, that's right. So right. I, I will specifically migrate for my polar bear plunge. I think. Uh, migrate is also a tease of our upcoming mm-hmm. uh, if coming up in just a minute. Um, uh, first of all, we'll g- give a shout out to uh, our erstwhile um, other co-host, uh, Professor Matthew Stanley of New York University. He is on assignment this week. Um, there have been a lot of, uh, you know, um, disturbances in the. Um, so he is, Matt is a uh, historian of science, and um, and a double black belt in karate, and also a karate instructor. And so I, th- I think that those, I'm sure all his skills are being tested. I don't think it's just like, oh, there's some history that needs to be recorded. I think there's. Like, oh yeah, this, this is absolutely going to take some karate. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's going to be so karate. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what do we do as, uh, each week here, Gabby, why in the world would somebody, there, there are people tuning in, 
who have been listening for years. We've been doing the show for five years, more than five years. And uh, we know because you guys uh, write in to us. And uh, if you haven't written in, by the way, I encourage you to do so. Just go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can shoot us a note. Um, what is it that they're, uh, that the veterans, the super, super aficionados of, uh, of the show t- are tuning in for? Yeah. So every week what we do is we pick one thing that we're going to change about the universe, and that is our if. And we follow that change out as far as we can go um, and sometimes destroy the universe in the process, sometimes just destroy reality as we know it. Um, <laughs> and hopefully along the way, some real science falls out. So you get to learn something and you hopefully get entertained. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and speaking of entertaining, Taylor, Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes. Um, so... Uh, uh, there was a there's a story. I'll just I'll I'll read the story. What we're we're doing an unusual if this week, uh, in which yeah, we're, like two things smashed together when we were talking. Yeah, two things smashed together. Um, so here there there are two stories. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that'd be kind of a fun concept for a show where it's always just two stories slammed together. Um, so uh, I'm going to read the uh, the news story here. What we do is uh, in when we don't have ideas uh, sent in by our listeners, which is something you can do. And some of you have done multiple times, and you've sent us brilliant ideas. So note that when we run with an if, that is the thought experiment we do each week, um, we could be running with your idea, something you imagined. And here's the secret. You don't have to know where that idea would go. You don't have to know what the answer to your what the if question is. Because we we don't know. This is all on the fly, just like with real science, when you begin to do an experiment, I assume you might think you, you might say, is it right, Gabby? You might say, well, I think I know how this experiment is going to turn out, but you don't really. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have a general idea. Well, you, you know what it's testing at least, but the results Uh of that might be completely different than what you expect. Yeah. Would you say, is it more common that the answers are what you don't expect? Uh, it kind of depends, right? Like, um, for the most part, if you have like whatever, like there are experiments that are decision point experiments that are sort of like, well, it's either this or this and everything else is going to depend on the results of this. Mm -hmm. And then you get one of those two answers back and then you can pick a line. And then once you've picked the line, like your hypothesis, you might find that every experiment you subsequently do conforms to that. Um, or Sometimes, though, I think the, the main thing is that a lot of science isn't started by, huh, this is exactly what I expected. It's, huh, that's weird. So sometimes <laughs> yeah. when you get a result that you don't expect is actually very good. Yeah, yeah I love that. Yeah, the science begins with, huh, that's weird. So speaking of, huh, that's weird, here's something. Uh, the headline from the New York Times um, science section, uh, the author, uh, the reporter is Chang Che, and uh, he writes... Um, the headline is Swift Quake, in quotes. Taylor Swift fans shake ground during Seattle concert. Seismometers can pick up many types of ground vibrations. But this drew comparisons to the beast quake of 2011 when Seattle football fans roared in celebration of a last-minute Seahawks uh, touchdown. 
And uh, I'm going to read here from a little bit of this uh, article here. And it begins with Taylor Swift singing, which I won't do. But it says in quote, I'll just quote the lyrics. I shake it off. I shake it off. Taylor Swift sang. And boy, did her fans deliver. A Taylor Swift concert in downtown Seattle last weekend shook the ground so hard. It registered. Oh, this is from uh, July 28th. Uh, a Taylor Swift concert in downtown Seattle last weekend shook the ground so hard it registered signals on a nearby seismometer, roughly equivalent to a magnitude 2.3 earthquake, seismologist said. Now, 2.3 is not something you would notice. Having lived in Los Angeles, I'm somewhat familiar with the numbers. And uh, in Los Angeles, for instance, just recently, uh, in the middle of a potential hurricane, they had an earthquake. That's how, that's how they roll in California. And... Um, it was like a five-point-something earthquake, which is definitely enough to feel, but generally doesn't really cause damage. Uh, I remember once when I was living there, it knocked a small tchotchke off the shelves. That was the only <laughs> casualty. Um, quote, it's certainly, it is certainly the biggest concert we've had in a while, end quote, said Mouse Roche, a seismologist at the Pacific, uh, Pacific Northwest Seismic Network which monitors earthquake activity in the Pacific Northwest. Quote, we're talking about 70,000 people and all the music and paraphernalia associated with the concert, end quote. Now, I don't know what uh, Dr. Roche, uh, the seismologist, means about paraphernalia at the concert, but uh, <laughs> I think he means speakers and stuff. But, you know, Probably. he may be talking about the, the kind of paraphernalia you hide in your pocket. Um, the so-called swift quake recorded a maximum ground acceleration of roughly 0.011 meters per second squared, said Jackie Kaplan Auerbach, a seismologist at Western Washington University. Seismologists use acceleration to measure ground vibrations, which are then converted to the more conventional Richter scale, uh, the common measurement for earthquakes. Um, the uh, here's just a fun thing here. If you if you look up this article, which I encourage you to do, always um, they have a picture of the uh, uh, the seismograph. You know, like the it's in electronic form. It's not the old fashioned needle on a piece of paper, but that kind of thing. Where as the ground shook, mm -hmm. the needle went back and forth and made you know lines uh, on a piece big big line, bigger and bigger and bigger, and then smaller and smaller and smaller lines on a scrolling piece of paper. Um, the reader, the readings occurred throughout both of both of Taylor Swift's concerts on the night of July twenty second and twenty third, and was sustained throughout. The shaking of the ground was more than twice as hard as at the as at the two thousand eleven Seahawks game. Uh, Kaplan Auerbach said, "While this was zero point three magnitude greater than in two thousand eleven, uh, I do like that the Taylor Swift concert had more powerful vibrations than the football game." Uh, that's a twofold difference under the Richter scale, which is logarithmic. Uh, anyway, so this idea that um, the ground shakes um, when Taylor Swift performs, uh, and apparently when football games are played and, and other events, uh, is interesting to us. So now we match that, we we mush that, <laughs> we smush it with another story, and. Um, I don't think we had a story for that one per se. Oh, it was it. It was the uh, tell us, tell us. Oh well, people swarming and swarming, uh, yeah. you know, creating this tremor in the ground uh, got us thinking about locusts. 
Right. Oh, well, the other story, the, the, there was the migration story, um, which is somewhat related. So just a, it, one of the other stories uh, we were looking at this morning is from um, uh, what's this, mentalfloss.com. Uh, and uh, this was Ellen Gutowski wrote an article called, entitled, Which Birds Are Migrating Through Your Area? This Interactive Tool Tells You. So there's an app called BirdCast. Uh, it says it might inspire you to become a better, uh, become a birder. And it's just something that allows you to let you know. But this idea of migration and uh, was always interesting to me. The idea, what if humans migrated? And we do to some degree, but what if we really moved en masse? And then we have swift quake. And this evolved into this whole idea we had of humans acting uh, en masse. So, um, so here we have all this, we've, we've gathered all this stuff and it's inspired us to run a thought experiment, which we call an if. And um, we have to, we begin it by, in, by using an incantation, you know, by stating it. And I think you would, when you do an experiment, do you, you must, I imagine you have to eventually formulate some kind of very clear, like a sentence or two that describes exactly what it is you're going to study. Is that right? Is, is there a name for that? Uh, a hypothesis? More or, or less. Uh, I usually have like a summary section of my experiments where I say like what it's testing. Right. Uh, sometimes I don't put what I expect it to say um, because, you know, sometimes it's an optimization experiment that the only thing I expect is I'll figure out a good, you know, uh, a good condition to do something in. Right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, you can usually, you, yeah, there's some summarization of, what or you, even you're saying you're this is what I'm, I'm going to do this right so at some point yeah like, this, this is what, is I'm, what I'm testing yeah yeah and so what is what what is the uh, what is the thought experiment we're going to run with here how do we now condense all of this uh, this raw material down into something so what if humans acted like I think what if humans swarmed like locusts yes yes and now uh, would it give people the uh, the just like the um, the uh, crew on the airplane does before you take off. Would you please give our listeners the, uh, the safety protocol, instruct them on the safety protocols? Oh yeah. We have a, a lot of fanfare before we start our, if uh, just as sort of our, our gear shift preparing you fasten your seatbelts uh, for the fact that for the next, what, like, you know, 30 minutes, what you're going to hear is a very altered form of reality. Yes. Yes. And they should always wear their papper. Uh, and I, we have not defined the. We haven't helped people. Yeah, understand. it's been episodes and episodes since you, we've talked about the papper. It just comes up every week. It's literally right. the 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 air filtration system I use uh, in the BSL three when I'm working with like higher containment pathogens. It's like a fan belt with a hose that goes up to my head. Yeah, and you wear it around your waist. Yeah, I wear the fan belt around my waist, and then the the hose goes up to a mask on my head, and it you know pulls. It pushes filtered air down over my face, so essentially the idea is nothing is going to you know fly up into it because air is always is coming out. It's a it's called a positive pressure system. Yes. So safety first. Always remember your goggles and uh, your hazmat suit and your papper. As we ask, what the if humans acted like locusts? Human swarms. I think we've all been there once or twice. 
Have you ever been in a swarm? Have you ever led a swarm? That would be kind of fun. Have you ever begun a swarm? Are you a leader or a follower? What would you do if you were <laughs> like a locust? So, um, so locusts. So how? So we're going from not Taylor Swift herself, but Taylor Swift's fans in a way. I can imagine being a swarm. Um, do locusts have a sort of queen bee? Like, if the if we were talking about bees, Taylor would be the queen bee, I imagine. Um, but do locusts have a, a leader? That they swarm around? Are they like that? They do not, no. So at least not based on everything I've read. Essentially, the reason why locusts swarm is ordinarily they're just kind of regular grasshoppers. They exist in kind of low numbers. They're not really an agricultural problem. And Mm. you might not notice them because they kind of, like locusts that are swarming look different from locusts that are Mm. solitary because they undergo a lot of kind of crazy changes when they actually start swarming. And so... Meaning they individually the, literally look different, like a single. Yeah, locus. individually they change color. Whoa. Um, like all of that. So they but that's all triggered by essentially that they're crowded together. So apparently you can trigger like a locust to change from its solitary to what they call the gregarious form, the swarming form. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great term. By tickling their back legs, and then like two hours later, that locust has already started changing. Because it simulates, like, the jostling together of a bunch of locusts in a crowded place. So, essentially, it's equivalent to, like, you know, when you're trying to get into a, a, like, a concert venue and everybody's sort of just, like, plotting together. Like, you're kind of always bumping into somebody. That kind of thing is what turns locusts into the swarm, basically. So, if you had a pet locust and you tickled their back legs, you could get them to go into swarm mode. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't know anything about how it's sustained, and I don't know if it's, like, permanent. Like, yeah. I don't know if they ever come out of it or they just, like, go into swarm mode, exist in that, you know, berserk state for a while and then drop dead. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's apparently just kind of a thing that, you know, that it, it's that crowding that makes them go berserk like that. Right, right. So if people did that... That's yes. our if. What if people were like locusts? So you're by yourself in standard uh, pandemic lockdown mode and everything's fine. And then the pandemic ends and you can finally go out again. Um, how are people... So as people begin to... We certainly in New York see people gathering in, in large numbers often on a daily basis. Um, so... What would they? Uh, what What is something that would cause? Like, so why why do the do we know why the locusts rise up in in certain times? Yeah, so like, it's it's not times yeah. like cicadas have times. It's not like every whatever years the locusts pop up. Mm. Apparently, what it is is that there's a drought for a while, mm. and then all of a sudden, when the the rains come back, there's a huge explosion in vegetation. And so what happens then is the the locusts that are there and are normal start breeding like crazy. And so all of a sudden you have a surge of the like nymph grasshoppers hatching at once that are all really close to each other. And so that jostling starts making them all the sort of gregarious form of locusts. And so what you get are you get these like huge bands of the the wingless form the wingless like young ones that are like 
you know, that's like the hopping ones where they're just like hopping from thing to thing and just like devouring vegetation. And then they grow up. And then you get the winged clouds of locusts. And apparently those guys can travel pretty far. Like a, a single flying locust can go like 90 miles. Wow. So these things are beasts once they hit that, that gregarious stage. They also apparently start eating more toxic vegetation. And so, like, some of them will change colors so that, like, they're bright, like, bright yellow and black. And it's, like, a signal, like, that they're toxic, too, because they're eating all of these toxic plants and accruing also, like, toxic metabolites. So uh, these things get a little insane. So if people did that, I'm imagining, okay, maybe we, maybe we decide that we're not just you know, eating everything toxic. We're not just like, yeah. you know, you swarm in the subway and then you just start eating garbage. Um, but all of a sudden we're going to be able to run really far. Like every Olympic athlete gets in the swarm mode uh, before they go and do their their races. Um, oh, that would be fun if we had swarm races. Like instead yeah. of just individual runners running against each other, you had huge... It's the whole swarm. Yeah. <laughs> um. They could probably we could probably run really far. Well, I think, think um, multiple swarms. You know, there's the red swarm and the blue swarm, and they're racing. Every each other. person's wearing a red t-shirt or a blue t-shirt. Or a blue t-shirt. Yeah. The whole yeah. Mob yeah. is going. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think where I left off. Uh. Yeah. We we could run pretty far. Uh. Assumably, we're probably going to need to eat a lot in that swarm form, very much like the locusts. Yeah. Um, well, actually, so, so the first thing that would happen is that um we begin with finding people. In a situation like there was a drought, let's say, which happens. and um, But it also means that we could survive droughts in a way that we don't, we aren't able to now in our normal form. Um, so uh, you could imagine, you know, a vast drought and the people, rather than leaving um, or whatever, um, they just uh, hunker down, you know, and they go into hibernation. Uh, and then it rains, as happens. You see that also, speaking of California, you know, it'll go for an incredibly long time. And then when it rains, suddenly the whole desert blooms with flowers and, you know, and people run. Just like in, in, um, in the fall in the, on the east coast of the U.S., um, people do leaf, leaf peeping, they call it. <laughs> they drive up to what? New England. You know about leaf peeping? Oh, oh, Peepers? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just only by calling it leaf peeping did not. Leaf peeping. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. That doesn't sound right. Um, but uh, people drive up to um, New Hampshire, Vermont, and uh, and I have done this, and you see the fall leaves as they turn colors. Into, if you go in the peak fall, it's unbelievable. Just the entire landscape, the whole world, as far as you can see, in these bright oranges and red and yellow colors. Um, Whereas out in uh, California, when, when it rains after a very long time, uh, people will drive up to Death Valley, for instance, to see all the flowers that bloom, um, not quite in the valley itself, but on the way there. And well, um, yeah. I was going to say, locusts are more like the Death Valley flowers. It's not that they're particularly drought hardy themselves. Uh, uh, it's that their eggs are. Right. So okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's part of that when they get the rain and then there's a vegetation. All the old eggs can hatch, and any new ones laid by the other locusts will, at least from what I understand. Right. So that's a significant difference, obviously. This is in, I love this. This is when an if spawns another if, sort of. It's like, okay, now we have to be 
um, what what do you call creatures where the the egg is they the the egg is outside the mother, you know, and can live by itself. Uh, the egg laying species. Yeah, egg laying species. There's some word for that, right? There's got to be a word for that science word. Um, uh, the difference between well, what's the term? What dinosaurs um, did and uh, what mammals do. I'm trying but to remember it, the specific term for egg laying mammals. Monotremes. Uh, yeah, so essentially that we're something like that, then if, if yeah. that's how you want to go with it. Exactly, exactly. Well, we would have to be, right? So, so that we would have to live in eggs. Well, or, or that doesn't matter, right? So like, think, the only thing that matters right now is necessarily like that we swarm. So a yeah, lot more yeah, of our social yeah. stuff is, has to deal with crowds, right? Right. And for the most part, even in New York City, you could get away with probably not being part of a swarm. So think about like the fact that you don't always have too many people jostling into you unless it's like a really crowded F train that's yeah. like been delayed for like 20 minutes and now everybody's trying to get on. Totally not from experience. Um, <laughs> but you could probably make it through your entire day without swarming. And also if this is a thing that humans don't like, maybe, I don't know how we might decide we feel about that. But right. there's plenty of people out in Montana who are probably never at a risk for it where like you you could just go your entire life without being in close enough proximity to people to get pushed in your swarm form. Yeah. But there are tons of events where unless we started taking really special precautions in the way that we move people around, you would absolutely get people swarming. Things like Taylor Swift's concerts where a bunch yeah. of people are pouring in. Uh, things like uh, the Times Square uh New Year's festival, I think Phil, you pointed that out before the show. Yeah. Uh, football games where everybody's going crazy. Mosh pits, absolutely everybody <laughs> would swarm, but I think that that's kind of the goal of a mosh pit. Um, yeah, all of these things that, you know, are sort of normal parts of our human experience, we'd have to handle differently if we didn't want to swarm or if they happen or if they happen at all in the same way would have a huge difference because then all of a sudden everybody there is transforming into like orc mode basically that's right orc mode is <laughs> really describes it. it's basically well i think what we're imagining is um we we can say that um even in the normal world normal world in the pre-if world um there are uh, a lot of times when people like swarms swarming is actually something we enjoy some people enjoy more than others but nonetheless the idea of going to a massive concert where there's seventy thousand people or whatever or a hundred thousand people, you know, um, people enjoy that. Um, another thing we were talking about was, uh, before the show, I think was spring break, the spring break phenomenon we have. Oh yeah. Uh, the spring break swarms. Yeah. Where basically everyone goes down to Florida or Cancun or in, in Europe, you go to other places and, uh, they just descend. So the fun, one of the most distinctive aspects of the swarm, of the locust swarm, I would say, is the devastation they leave behind, right? Oh, yeah. And so you could imagine that, um, I think, essentially for this if, what we have to do is ramp up the destructive power of these swarms. So it would be as if, yeah, everyone gathered, you know, tens of thousands of people gathered for the Taylor Swift concert, but by the time they left, they had consumed the entire stadium. There was no stadium left. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was eaten. Well, for one, that's already an interesting story because clearly we're going to have to make our stadiums either A, faster or B, a little crummier. Less tasty. 
<laughs> yeah, like if everybody either crummy or, or or just like impossible to break through if everybody's going to just dismantle the place board by board. Yeah, I like the, the idea of uh, I like the idea of a um, what do you call it? A, uh, not combustible, a consumable stadium that it's sort of like they put it up knowing it's going. It is the, the stadium itself is actually food, you know? Oh, that, right, that'd be kind of cool. And then yeah, they build another one, but essentially that this is how the human species works. We work in these swarms and the, one of the main reasons for the swarms is to eat. And uh, now I think, I don't think we, we can avoid the fact that uh, another, is it true? Is, is this, when does the mating happen for the locusts? Is that part of the, but obviously happens while um, they're awake, I guess. <laughs> uh, I don't know too much of the kinetics of that actually. I mean, some of it's before, right? Because, uh -huh that you have to make locusts that are part of the swarm. And I assume there's some somewhere in the swarm too as well. Like that's that's got to be a component of it as well. So yeah. maybe there's a baby boom after every Taylor Swift concert. Exactly, which may already happen. I don't know. Just yeah, I don't know enough power. about T-Swift. Yeah. Although I do know that apparently there was a big baby boom after like, after like nine months after like a really big snowstorm in like Buffalo, <laughs> New York. There's yeah. like a, a baby boom Yeah, uh, just because... Well, nobody was going anywhere, so. Yeah. And, of course, the most famous baby boom of all are the baby boomers, I guess, who were all born at the end of World War II when everybody came home. Um, and that's a whole gen, right? There was a whole generation that uh, mm -hmm. I guess the, the country went four years without having uh, many babies, and then they got a lot. Um, and so, uh, so rock concerts are one reason that generates the swarms. But what if the swarm now is essentially becomes an essential part of the life cycle of the human species? That, that's kind of interesting oh. to imagine that these rock concerts, for instance, are an essential part of the, like literally without the rock concerts, the, the species would die, would not, would not. In other words, you tickle the back of um, the locust that, that generates the swarm mode. In this case, maybe it's, uh, it's the beat the rhythm yeah we we need the swift quake essentially yeah that yeah, that yeah. percussion and yeah. the the what is it point three on the rick whatever it was right whatever that quake was we need yeah. that kind of uh vibration through the earth to actually continue the species yeah yeah it was two point Which, something on this because it's not nothing um that's actually kind of an interesting thing to consider right because yeah we have not necessarily been able to gather in numbers like these for all of our time on Earth. Ah. So there, you know, human societies have increasingly expanded as our ability to feed our societies has expanded. So moving from like small hunter-gatherer bands to smaller agricultural groups, then to towns and cities. Um, yep. So you probably couldn't get enough people together if you're just a very small, you know, hamlet-sized group. You couldn't get that kind of vibration unless you were using some sort of other system. So rather than a bunch of people in a concert arena, uh, this is actually dovetailing with a story now that Phil and I were talking about also before this, uh, maybe you need something else that vibrates, some kind of like percussive dance floor or something that shakes and rattles so that yes. you get that like that force um or just a lot of drums humans have always liked drums maybe maybe we need a lot of drums yeah i think it's basically like uh lollapalooza you know the reason for these 
massive <coughs> music festivals is because they must initiate the swarm. Um, so uh, I just had an image of, um, again, a, another story we threw in the mix here at the beginning was uh, the migration, the idea of human migration. So I have this idea of like entire cities of people just deciding to relocate en masse. You know, for some reason, everyone from New York, uh, like it's, it's, it's as if before Los Angeles was founded, everyone lived in New York. This is kind of what happened. <laughs> everyone lived in New York and then eventually, you know, they migrated west and cities on the west coast got founded uh, like Los Angeles. But um, uh, you can imagine everyone just at some point, you know, at a certain time of year, uh, all eight million residents of New York, you know, move en masse uh, across the country, you know, leaving a wake of destruction as they eat everything, uh, which is pretty much what Americans do. I, I was about to say that does sound like New York. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I said it as a New Yorker. Yeah. And then they resettle, um, somewhere else, you know, or maybe they go out and then they come back. Maybe, maybe that's what it is, you know? Um, but it'd be kind of interesting to imagine. I can imagine, imagine, let's say two cities or imagine each city has a, a mirror image of itself somewhere else. And at any given time, one of those cities is fully populated with 8 million people or 10 million people. And the other version of that city somewhere in the Midwest or whatever is completely abandoned because it's empty and until everyone migrates to it. You know? So it's like having a summer. It's like your, it's your, instead of your summer home, right, which some people have, uh, it's as if everyone in the city moves together to another place. Well, so like I have the butterflies. some yep. news on that. So I have been, so I've been doing some math on the other side of here, right? All right. To figure out exactly how far our swarm could go based on the flight of adult locusts. Granted, <laughs> we don't fly, but assuming we get similar traversal abilities, yeah. adult locusts can fly for about 90 miles average size of a locust, I'm kind of rounding on the upper side, is about 50 millimeters. So 90 miles is about 2.9 million body lengths. Um, <laughs> so granted, my math isn't exactly perfect because I'm using like, you know, five and a half feet as like the estimation of the size of a person and it's not exactly the estimated size of a walking gate, which mm, might be mm. like actually kind of smaller. Um, but my rough calculation is that we could go almost 16 million miles. Whoa. Um, and the <laughs> circumference of the earth is, uh, you know, 24.9 million miles. Okay. So oh, okay. we could get extremely No, no, it can't, it's not, not 20, it's, it's, uh, 25,000, um, 25,000. Yeah. Sorry. Am yeah. I? Yeah. 25,000 miles. So we yeah. could, uh, circumnavigate the earth a couple of times. Oh, but I mean, 60 million miles will get you yeah, out in space. Yeah, just a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I think what happens is <clears throat> when you look down on the Earth, you see these massive tracts, these these gouges in the uh, in the Earth uh, created by the various human migrations that have happened. You know, as if as if the Earth were uh, scraped. Uh, in, in the earth might look like, you know, like a basketball has those lines on it uh, or yeah. a baseball or something like that. The earth looks like that, right? And those are the paths of the, um, the human migrations. And uh, so what would, imagine you were, um, 
we're going to go visit the, uh, we break away from the swarm to do some science, as one is wont to do. And so we go out to uh, study the, um, the, essentially the gouge, the canyon left behind um, by our city's um, seasonal migrations across the earth. So what, we're standing in one of these canyons that was carved out by the path of, uh, you know, let's call it 10 million people um, traveling through this thing and eating and devouring everything in sight. What does it look like? What, what things might you be gathering to study? Um, well, so we're assuming, I guess, that these paths, these migratory paths are thousands and thousands of years old. Uh, because I don't mm, think human mm. feet would be able to wear down like a, a very big canyon in right. that time unless we started eating dirt, um, which I don't know, maybe. Um, I did it you know, but, as a kid. <laughs> but I think it'd be kind of cool, right? Because, you know, there are like old Roman roadways that we can see, like old yeah. wagon wheels in. Yeah. And so you have essentially thousands of years of, of human history and specifically like swarm travel history yeah. along the same route. Um, so one, I guess I'm assuming not everybody makes it the whole way. So from an archaeology perspective, there's probably yeah. going to be some bones unless they got completely eaten by the next group. Right. Who right. knows? Right. Uh, depending on how much we're assuming this is a total swath of devastation. Yeah. Um, Maybe what things we avoid, if anything. Uh, are we eating purely everything in our path? Is it just vegetation? Is it animals? Are we just like kind of zombifying this and just like going for every critter that's in the way? Yeah. Um, I guess roots where I am assuming there's some level of sleep mm. that we would still have to do. So are there spots where people gather and fall? Does the whole swarm fall asleep as a group? Uh, or do people just kind of drop where they are and hope they don't get eaten by whoever's behind them and think yeah. they're dead or something? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess one thing that has me kind of curious is, is you know how like rivers, over time you can watch the path of the river slightly change as erosion of the water like brings new paths and that yeah. like the course of it might slightly shift yeah. uh, from year to year, but then dramatically shift when you're like looking over thousands of years essentially do the migratory paths shift? Are there remnants of other paths that have been slightly skewed over the years? Uh, and, you know, would you see that in the fact that, you know, every tree on the path is a little bit younger uh, because we didn't eat all of those? Um, so I think that's something that I, I'm kind of curious about and also wonder if this is something that we've been doing for thousands of years and getting increasingly more destructive as our societies get bigger. Uh, do you see animals, you know, do they know to move away? Is there like a periodicity in when they reproduce or come to certain areas because they, you know, it's been reinforced evolutionarily that if you move into these areas, you're going to die. So are, are the places where humans migrate just barren or do they, you know, liven up after we leave and then everything runs out before we come back? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like the idea also of the subtle shift in the path. Like, imagine as climate changes, for instance, they definitely would um, oh, yeah. do that. Uh, and I would think, you know, it's interesting. We'll have to ask Matt when he's back. I'm sure Matt could tell us things about like pilgrimage routes, what archaeologists find on pilgrimage routes, which could be, you know, people have been, for instance, going to Mecca for 
many, many thousands of years, I'm sure, along these roads, you can find similar things to this. You can find uh, coins that get dropped and you know, uh, leftover uh, ceramics, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, because we would totally be dropping stuff along the way, like, and probably, you know, would get smashed into layers of the path by feet behind you. So you can probably get one of those, like, you know how you could tell the age of fossils by where it is in the fossil bed, yeah, like all yeah. literally different bands of soil and rock that have been compressed. I yeah. wonder if like you could take core samples of old human migration routes and, and get, you know, old coins, you know, a uh, little like travel, like mementos tokens and you get up to like you know keychains there's a tamagotchi in there that's right uh, yeah an apple watch a Taylor swift ticket yeah 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 exactly yeah at the bottom you know below you got a frank sinatra ticket and below that you've got you know i don't know a uh, scott joplin ticket or yeah like that. um uh, but i i know that for instance in landfills and in, you know g garbage by the way is one of the most important things for archaeologists right it's a great uh almost informal archive of a civilization. And uh, for instance, you can go to like a giant landfill like Fresh Gills. We have in New York, one of the largest landfills in the world um, that's now being turned into a beautiful park. But uh, if you were to take a core sample, if you were to drill down, I'm sure you would find, the, uh, you could basically find, you know, ep it, um, copies of the New York Times newspaper. Uh, and the date, the further you dig down, the, the more back in time you're going to find the, uh, the older papers are going to be at the bottom. Um, so, uh, as a virologist, I have to ask you, would this, this would mean something that, uh, somehow these swarms, uh, don't, for instance, one thing we learned with the pandemic was that gathering together in swarms of any kind can be deadly. Uh, so what would this say about, um, human resistance or some, about viruses, something that we survive not. these? So uh -huh. for the answer is like a, a, a if human swarm, there could be a huge swarm that all dies because they caught some illness on the way. Uh -huh. uh, and I think that that would probably still be a, a big component of these things. Um, what I wonder too is about, so say you have a swarm in one city that's sick. They go, yeah. they do their swarm thing. Eventually they're going to have to disperse and humans have a pretty long like gestation time. I assume that humans are not going to be swarming for nine, 10 months, essentially, you know, assuming there's some give or take, um, on, yeah. So I assume that the swarm will split at some point and then everybody will go back to their own or multiple different cities and just, oh, you know, picking right. whatever settlements are closest. Right. So you could potentially get some huge spread event where something that was from just one, culture is now like one group is now blasted across the earth because the humans in the swarm have gone across the planet. They've come maybe slightly in contact with other human civilizations or the members when they stop being part of the swarm spread to whatever other civilizations were in the area yeah. and then therefore spread disease. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of one of the great swarming events, the great ritual events of the year in the U S is, uh, where is it? It's in one in the Dakotas. There's that motorcycle gathering. I'm, I'm drawing a blank oh, on the name. Yeah, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. Storo I... or something like that. Anyway, yeah, and which and unfortunately, Sturgis? I think Sturgis. That's it. Yep, Sturgis. And uh, during COVID or in the early days of COVID, I think it became a super spread. Well, it was one of unfortunately many super spreader events because so many people gathered uh, and then went home and brought the uh, virus home. Um, 
But the idea of everyone swarming on motorcycles is pretty fantastic. Like very Mad Max. I mean, imagine if, I think that's how we migrate. Eventually we get to the point where everyone is on motorcycles. Because I was wondering what happens. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, no, I was going to say, I'm imagining the even bonkers one that a swarm human could probably keep pace with a motorcycle, given that they could run. Like a zombie. Yeah. Right, yeah. Just like imagine you're you're feeling cool, you're on a motorcycle and you look to your left and there's somebody yes. like crazy eyed and maybe bright yellow yeah. and just keeping pace with you. Yeah, and spray painting their lips and going chrome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's awesome. Yeah, because I was wondering what happens when the when when the swarm meets the ocean. We wouldn't stop. You know, I think we'd uh, Yeah, well, either, either keep swim. swimming or go across the coast. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know, that contributes a lot to underwater ecosystems because I assume sharks are still picking us off. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they would swarm on the swarm. Oh, that'd be an amazing sight. <laughs> there's there's definitely like a, a Planet Earth um, documentary of this. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, I could imagine, for instance, the, the, the so-called New World, uh, North America, um, having been, quote, discovered um, by, uh, instead of, Christopher Columbus and, and Cortez and all those guys coming over on ships. It could have just been a massive European swarm that just, you know, started swimming and eventually hit uh, the other coast. Or the other way, right? Where like, yeah, yeah. you know, contact doesn't necessarily have to be initiated by the Europeans first. It could have been, you know, a South American swarm that was like, hey, we're just going to go. That there is a there is a movie there for somebody who makes these kinds of movies. <laughs> Uh, an Aztec swarm uh, arriving in, uh, I don't know, Paris. <laughs> that would be kind of astounding. You know what, Aztec swarm actually, invading Europe. Yeah. What this does make me think about is, is you know, you, you mentioning like disease and like the swarming and stuff like that. And I was mentioning, you know, swarms could still die from disease. Yeah. Is that like one of the big things is like Europeans were resistant to so many things because their cities were so dirty that they got everything. Uh-huh. Uh, I almost wonder if that phenomenon wouldn't happen if after every so many years, everybody in the city like dipped. That, that settlement was essentially abandoned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you, I, I can't imagine, you know, it's not like everything gets the time to air out. Some things can still fester, but without people to continually be hosts for things, uh-huh. I wonder if that would have disrupted that chain of sort of, I, I don't know, continued, uh, like so you persisting mean infection that so maybe viruses. If if whenever, for instance, this this does happen in city, for instance in Paris, it's you know legendarily, uh, if that's a word, uh, in Paris in August, you know all the Parisians go away, they leave the city for vacations or whatever, and uh, if the tourists didn't come in in their place as they do, what you're saying is, imagine Paris gets left empty. Um, so what? So the viruses within that were left behind would die out. Well, viruses and bacteria. So there's a lot of like yeah. bacteria like on surfaces and stuff like that. And so like, and, and things that require on person to person transmission. And so they could still be transmitting person to person in that, that swarm that left. Yeah. But on contact surfaces, unless it's like a, a bacteria that can survive in soil and, or like also has an animal phase and infects whatever animals are left over in the city, you might come back or a different group would come back to find that city maybe with a lot less. I don't know, typhoid or whatever, because it's... Yeah. I, I actually don't know if typhoid's one that lives in the soil, but whatever. Uh, or like uh, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis is very human to human. Right. Um, so if everybody who had tuberculosis in the city left, 
and a new group moved in, they they wouldn't. There's no guarantee that they would have tuberculosis unless they were bringing it. I think. I like this idea. So we're gonna we can end on this on this interesting uh, positive note that um, seasonally, you know, for whatever reason, sometime uh, <laughs> w- one part of the year, everybody in the in all the cities. Um, en masse, all millions of them, and they swarm out of the city. They travel across the land or the water. If it's across the land, there, you know, a wave of destruction is a uh, path of destruction is cut into the land. If it's across the water, um, the sharks are well fed. And um, but while they're out of the city, a small um, group stays behind and cleans the entire city. So it's like a hotel room. Yeah, wh- whoever got left behind from the swarm, they're like, "Oh crap! I didn't get I didn't get tickets uh, in time. Crap! <laughs> I, I couldn't see Taylor Swift, so I guess I'm left behind." And then they they just kind of clean everything up. Yeah, and the, and then they you know it's it's it, you do see this now. And one of the most incredible post pandemic uh, things that continues to live on in New York is that if you fo- follow the subway to the end of the line. Um, Subway reaches the end of the line and then it waits there for a little while before it goes back the other way. And in that time, while it's waiting at the station at the end of the line, they completely cleanse the train. They sanitize the entire train. Which is divine. Yeah. Yeah. So I imagine that's what an entire city is basically, you know, it's uh, imagine if New York were, I have always <laughs> imagined New York, this. like Japan basically actually completely cleaned. scrubbed and yeah, yeah. cleaned and. You know, everybody comes back and all the toilet paper rolls uh, have that little folded part on them that says if the sanitized rats have for a your protection. Sparkle in their eye. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, maybe the rats are the one we, we program the rats. We somehow program the rats to clean the city while we're out. Maybe. Well, I mean, if Pizza Rat was allegedly trained, then maybe uh there's maybe we can train the rest of them to sort of pick up little brooms and brushes when we leave and just what? sort Pe- of sleeping beauty the or what was it Cinder who was the one who who sung to animals and got them to do things the disney dr doolittle (laughs) to the disney princess god Uh, i there's there's no hope for me i can't remember which one it was but yeah yeah, somebody can disney princess the rats to clean up the subways for us exactly but first first of all you buried the lead there pizza rat was trained allegedly there's somebody who claims they've trained like all these rats and that 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 pizza rat was one of them oh my well that i don't know how real it is to be honest i've seen plenty of animals in new york city eat a pizza pizza. I once yeah. watched a seagull struggle to fly with like two slices in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. So I really don't think that the rat is that outside of the ordinary, but allegedly there's somebody who claims that they train the rats. All right. All right. So yeah, for those of you who don't know, look up pizza rat. I can recommend that. That is safe. That is safe for work. Um, and uh, there's in a famous video, uh, somebody shot like a TikTok video or whatever of uh, a rat dragging a piece of pa- piece of pizza down the stairs in the subway to eat it. Um, and so uh, we'll leave it there. This was quite the uh, quite the thing. Uh, pretty cool. It's a bit of an adventure, yeah. Yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, what's your takeaway uh, as you look back? Human society would be fundamentally very different. Yeah. Uh, if you could just pack up and swarm and run away. It almost reminds me of the three-body problem of the society yeah. and that, where they sort of just like desiccate and kind of yeah. all society stops for a while. Um, and also I sort of imagine that maybe there would come a time when we're like, we don't want to do this, that like swarming and destroying our cities and our environment, like maybe is something we don't want to do. So 
uh, people swarm, like there are controlled swarms. Like you do go to some kind of concert, you controlled swarm. And then the concert is built out of, re the concert hall is built out of like reinforced titanium and the roof comes over and then they just knock everybody out at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And so you kind of just get like knocked out and then you wake up and you're outside of rage mode and you're, and you're fine. Yeah. That's pretty much what a Grateful Dead concert was like. I think, and uh, you just get knocked out at the end. You rage yeah, well, hard. Well, you out. you fall asleep for sure. I did anyway. As <laughs> 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 they go on and on and on, but um, yeah, pretty cool. And I must say that one of my big takeaways is how much, you know, when you think about it this way, and you look at real human society. It's like, oh, there's a lot of aspects of swarming that we do have. So I think uh, for our listeners, it'd be one thing to take away as you go throughout the the rest of the day and the rest of the week now, look for signs of swarming uh, in humans. Um, like, yeah, you can imagine that we have to have these concerts. We have to have Super Bowls. We have to have Times Square or New Year's Eve parties because if we don't, the need to swarm will grow to epic proportions <laughs> and you'll have a over swarm. A super you swarm. Know? Yeah, you have a super swarm, which will bring us which will bring a super swift quake. And to end all swift quakes, that, that would be the end of that. That'll crack the earth in half. Yeah, 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 yeah. I could see that happening. I could see that. Um, very cool, very cool. So uh, I am holding, by the way, in my hand, and people, it's audio only, so I, here's, here it is. That's a book, a paper book, and I'm going to try to read the title, Luminescent Machinations, Queer Tales of Monumental Invention. Uh, and uh, in it is a story by an uh, author, a great science fiction author named <laughs> G.M. Panicia. And that is you, Gabby. You're, yes. you're, I'm holding your story, A Sword Between the Stars, uh, in my hand. I can't wait to read it. I just got that last night. Very exciting. Thank you. I actually, it's funny. Last night, I actually just finished the anthology. And I, I really enjoyed the stories in it. So it was very, very much an honor to like be a part of it. And it's very nice to like read all of the other stories and it, like I said it just makes me feel really honored that something I wrote is like a part of that because some of the stories are so good I'm still thinking about them and I'm like dang and mine's in there too yeah that's great that's right it's very cool so um the link uh to uh to get the book um in either electronic or uh print form is on right there in your description on the on your podcast app or uh, wherever you're listening to this uh show so check it out um and uh do you get will the book get reviewed or anything like that will it be discussed uh, i don't know because right now you can i think you can only purchase it off of neon hemlock's site right um but i don't know if they're planning on doing any sort of expanded run where mm -hmm. then it's available through anything else yeah. uh they're they're a smaller publisher but i know they're they're getting bigger so it it's possible at some point very cool very cool but if if you enjoyed it basically and you're somebody in the audience who's read it uh, I, I would love to know, um, and I'm sure that the, you know, editors, Dave, uh, might, you know, they would really want to know that you enjoyed the book. Um, so if you liked it, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. We should get one of them on if they want to come on the show. That'd be oh, fun. that'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be super cool. Um, all right. Anything you want to plug this week? So when the book is out, we're plugging that. Is there any, uh, any other uh, events? Uh, here's a quick one for a quick question for you. Uh, COVID seems to be coming back in some form. Like a, there's another variant. Is there anything uh, of note? And, and then I, I saw something in the time, New York Times said, wait to get your booster shot because there's a new one coming out that will apply directly to this new variant. 
So yeah, so there's going to be a new shot in the fall that I think encompasses some of the last variants. I think probably this one as well. They're pretty easy to remix. Um, the current spike it, it got me. It got me and like ten of my friends. Uh, so uh, just kind of you know be careful if you feel sick. Uh, you know normal stuff, right? Like try to wear a mask if you absolutely can't get out of you know going to work. But you know. You, need, you might have to tamp down on your FOMO and miss a couple of events if you're sick because it still does suck to get this. Um, I Like I said, I, I got COVID like about was it two weeks ago. There was an episode that I missed two, three weeks ago because mm-hmm. uh, I was sick. And I'm still coughing from it. Like I'm, I'm still kind of like generally gross, not as gross as I was last week and not as gross as I was the week before when I was sick. But it's still not great to get. So standard rules apply. Like I wouldn't, this is not like the second coming of the same kind of surges that we saw in the original pandemic, because I think most people are at some level of immunity. So most people at this point have either gotten it or have gotten a vaccine. Um, But you do kind of want to be considerate to the other people that you're around. Like I said, wear a mask if you feel sick and get the shot when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And I think they said just, just a month or two. That, uh, and basically, it's, it's becoming like the flu. You should get your flu shot every year, and this is just yeah. going to be a new part of that. It is 100% um, just becoming like the flu. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have this forever now. Oh, boy. Good times. Good times. Um, thank you all for listening. Matt will be back uh, next week. And uh, in fact, it's just Matt next week, right? You guys are. Yeah, I feel bad. We, yeah, we keep trading off. There are every every week, every other week, there seem to be errors in the the timeline of the universe and or virological incidences across the <laughs> yeah, multiverse that's right, that's right. that I have to handle. So <laughs> it's we haven't been able to, you know, align and be back on the podcast together in actually kind of like a month or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be good though. We appreciate your service. Yours and Matt's <laughs> service to you to to the world, um, and now we are, we are going to um, put the world back together again, um, back to its place where Taylor Swift is merely an epic superstar and not a literally earth shattering superstar. Um, and uh, how do we do this? What what what's our closing ritual about? And will you help people prepare for this? Yeah. So as we face this new reality jostled together in a Taylor Swift concert, feeling ourselves change and about to hulk out and run 16 million miles multiple times across the earth, we cannot help but shout the name of the show all together in unison. What? Thank you all for listening. Thank you for swarming to listen to this show every week. Whattheif.com and check us out on Patreon. Help us out. Become part of the swarm that feeds the if. Patreon.com slash whattheif. Matt will be back next week. Thank you all for listening. Hope you'll be here too. See you next week. Bye.